If you're tired of dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. What's up, athletes? Welcome back to the show. Today, we have a very special guest, a friend of mine. I've been friends with Amadea for so many years, and it's been amazing to go through part of our journey together and to watch her flourish and become one of the most influential professionals in her field. So Amadea Kazar is a certified physiotherapist and member of the OPQ. That's the Order of Professional Physiotherapists in Quebec. She holds a master's degree in physiotherapy from McGill University and is specialized in pelvic perineal re-education for women and men and trans uh, population as well, which is so cool. I want to get into this in a little bit. So in addition to treating urinary, anorectal, and pre-postnatal dysfunction, she has a particular interest in persistent pelvic and genital pain. She offers advanced manual therapy and pain control strategies for complex pain conditions, And she is one of the few physiotherapists in Canada certified to use pessary fitting as part of treatment for pelvic organ prolapse and to offer hypopressive low pressure fitness. Amadeo, welcome, welcome today. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so lucky that you are here with us today. I've been chasing Amadea for several weeks now. She's very, very busy. And so I'm so honored to have her on today. So Amadea, tell us a little bit about you. How did you get into this field? Ah, good question. Um, Well, it's all started when I was in athletic therapy with you. Um, So I was studying in athletic therapy and I was putting myself through school as a unit coordinator actually at the Royal Victoria Hospital in the birthing center and postpartum and gynecology. And I was trying to figure out what I was gonna do in life. And I I was interested in women's health at the time. And somebody, a friend of mine uh, introduced me to the idea of pelvic floor physio because one of her colleagues was doing research with a pelvic floor physio. And I was considering medical school, but I was feeling old. And uh, when she introduced the topic, I said, well, that's kind of amazing because it marries everything I'm interested in. So the orthopedic part, which would be the athletic therapy and the training, and then the women's health. And so I applied for my master's with that goal in mind. I asked for my internship day two, and I never looked back. So it was meant to be passion. (laughs) <laughs> Amazing. So tell us a bit more about the, the specific um, conditions that you treat as a pelvic floor physio. I don't, I don't believe that a lot of athletes, a lot of women or men know that your profession exists and yeah. understand exactly what you can treat and help them with. Yeah. If I had a dollar for every patient that came in and said, I had no idea that you existed. So what do we treat? We treat, we're probably best known for urine leakage and uh, pre-postnatal care. So urine leakage related specifically stress incontinence. So this is people doing activity or exercise and they're leaking urine. Um, but we treat other urinary issues as well, like urgency, frequent urination, you know, feeling like you have to go very urgently 
um, urinary retention, feeling like you're not fully emptying. We deal with bowel issues, um, chronic constipation or fecal incontinence, and then um, pelvic organ prolapse, which is when um, the pelvic organs, so bladder, vagina, uterus, start to sag a little bit into the pelvis and it can create symptoms of heaviness and it can contribute to some other things. Uh, we treat that as well. And then those would be sort of support issues. And then we also treat pain. So I personally have an interest in persistent pelvic pain and pain with sex. And so we see a lot of people who have in some cases given up in intercourse completely because of pain. They've had pain from the very first time or they develop pain in menopause say, or even sometimes postpartum due to scarring or whatnot. We can get into that later. Um, we also treat a subset of patients that have pain related to other conditions. So interstitial cystitis or bladder pain syndrome, uh, endometriosis, or sometimes after some surgeries, they will develop abdominal and pelvic pain. Um, and then of course, that's not just for women. We treat men for persistent pelvic pain as well, or penile pain. So men, you have pelvic floors too. And then of course, we're, we're now introducing treatment for the trans population. So this is just a safe space for somebody that identifies as trans or non-binary that they can be treated or it's preparation for surgery or after surgery as well. So we're doing a lot here. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. And I'm really excited about all of these topics because I feel like we're going to get into this taboo world. We're going to start talking about things that are making us uncomfortable and also possibly issues that we are generally uncomfortable to admit or to speak to our doctor about. So I hope that all of you listening know that there is a treatment for you, that if you are suffering from any of these conditions, that you are not alone. And I have to tell you, Amadea, that I see urine leakage and complaints of that very often at the gym. We did study to some degree a lot of these things in, in osteopathy and especially the different degrees of, of urine leakage. But what I find outstanding is true, there are more women that suffer or complain of leakage while they run, while they jump, while they do heavy squats than those that don't. And whether or not they've had babies or whether or not they've had vaginal births, this is still something that I hear often. And it's almost like we've accepted that this is something that we have to live with as women. So this is kind of what I, what I want to talk about today is I want to identify with the fact that there is a treatment. And I like what you said before. What was it that you said about um the success or you said you said the the you said that there is a um cure rate yes okay yeah <laughs> so there's research yeah. Yeah. yeah so the research shows that with conservative therapy so first of all i just want to say that pelvic floor exercises are first line treatment it's in the clinical practice guidelines from the American Urological Association, the European Urological Association, um, it's known. We're first line therapy. Um, and the cure rate, according to research, is up to 80%, which is major. So you have nothing to lose trying um, to strengthen the pelvic floor, coordinate the pelvic floor. And we can get into sort of the, the details of what, what does that mean, like pelvic floor physio. But, to train your pelvic floor is really important for controlling these symptoms. So you're saying, Amadea, that you have an 80% positive outcome 
from these pelvic floor exercises and getting rehabilitation from a pelvic floor physio if you pursue that line of treatment. This is what the, the literature shows, yeah. Like yeah, it. so it's kind of amazing and it's underutilized and there's a lot of awareness that needs to be created um, so that people are accessing therapy faster, sooner, um, in meaningful ways. So I'm so excited to be here to sort of crack this open and have this discussion. Yeah. You, what were you saying your motto was earlier? That you had? Yeah, pelvic hope. Pelvic yeah, hope. Yeah. So if, that's it. So if you're following anything on social media that we do, at the end of whatever post we've, we've put out, um, it always ends with, let's start the discussion. There is pelvic hope. Ask which happens to be the name of the business. Um, and the idea is that we need people to be comfortable to ask these questions and um, about their symptoms or about treatment options or um, how to get back to activity uh, so that we can get them into treatment faster. So there's yeah. definitely all the hope. <laughs> and so, so that 80% positive outcome from treatment, how many weeks would that take to start to see? Well, we can see change within a couple of weeks. So if somebody's committed to the therapy and they're doing the exercises and they're modifying, and keep in mind, I have to say this, it's not just about the pelvic floor. So it's support from the bottom, but it's also what's creating pressure from the top. So if you're talking about a stress incontinence, so stress incontinence, again, it's leakage of coughing, sneezing, running, lifting, that kind of thing. Um, you're creating abdominal pressure during these activities. Even when you're talking, you're creating pressure that's in the abdomen that's also pushing down. So if the pelvic floor is not strong enough to lift against that pressure or the timing's off, it's not contracting fast enough, or there's a, a lack of coordination with the rest of the core, well, then this is when we see that urine is pushed out, okay? And so we can see change within a couple of weeks if people start retraining and sometimes they won't even, um, and sometimes with that training, we might not see a major change in strength, but if the coordination is improved a little bit, oh, all of a sudden they're noticing, hey, I'm leaking less when I cough or sneeze, or my reflexes are a little bit quicker or whatnot. But overall, a treatment plan is probably about three months, and that's what's suggested again by the urological associations, three to four months of treatment, but that's not coming in weekly. The idea is that patients are, are taught things, they're taught to modify their environment, modify how they're moving, um, modify how they're training, incorporate the exercises, and then practice these things at home, right? So initially we might be seeing you more often, but then we spread it out. We might only see you once a month just to progress your program based on what your needs are. Right, and so what type of intervention do you do during those three months? What can a patient who comes to see you expect? Yeah. Um, well, at the evaluation, patients come in, uh, we're going to do a full history. So we want to know about your symptoms, what brings on your symptoms, and then of course, other what else can we pick up? So we're talking about urinary issues, bowel issues, we want to know about sex, we want to know about activities, um, anything that we can help to modify. Um, and then you'll have a full exam. So you have to keep in mind, our foundation is still an orthopedic physio, right? So we're still physios. Initially, we would have treated the backs and the elbows and the knees of the world. So we're going to do a global exam looking at all of these factors, including diastasis, by the way, which is often a question in the athletic population. So we can come back to that. Um, and then we're going to do a very specific 
um, pelvic floor exam, which is an internal exam. And that's the difference between um, orthopedic physio and, and pelvic floor physio. So if it's somebody that has both um, a vagina and an anus, then we're going to do a vaginal exam to assess the, the superficial pelvic floor muscles, and then an anal rectal exam to assess the, the deeper posterior pelvic floor muscles. And so from that, we'll have an idea, okay, we'll be training specifically the pelvic floor. Can it contract through its range? Can it let go completely? And then the coordination with the rest of the core, is it contracting with the abdominals, with the respiratory diaphragm? What's your posture like? When you're doing a deadlift, what's your posture like? And what's your breathing like? Because if you're holding your breath, things like, things like holding your breath create pressure. So those are things that we can modify. Um, how are you lifting your kids? How are you pushing your stroller? And then we will start to gradually move out from very central pelvic floor exercises into more dynamic exercises. Okay, you can contract your pelvic floor. Now, can you do that during your deadlift, during your squat? Is it becoming reflexive? Um, and then moving you towards whatever specific activities you want to do, so functional activities. So if it's running, we're gonna get you to jump in the clinic and we're gonna train your glutes because your glutes are shock absorber. So it really is individualized therapy based on whatever your activities are, your, your desires are, and where you are when you show up. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and I love the holistic approach and really working on the person, what their activities are, and looking at every muscle group and seeing what is firing and what is not when looking at their protocol. Let's talk about Kegels for a moment. And yeah. this is, this is a, a hot topic usually because you hear often that you should do Kegels and that would strengthen your pelvic floor while you pee, hold your pee, let go of your pee and so forth. Um, and especially postpartum, that's, that's an exercise that's oftentimes recommended. How do you feel about that? So I often talk about the Kegel conspiracy. So <laughs> Kegels, okay, so just so that everybody's on the same playing field. Um, a Kegel, uh, well, Kegels were developed in, like research came out in 1950 by Dr. Arnold Kegel, who was a gynecologist. And since then they have significantly evolved. But basically a Kegel is a contraction of your pelvic floor. But the way that they were introduced they saw that women who had postpartum urine leakage back in the 50s would have less if they were working on brute strength. So they would have women doing something like 200 contractions a day, just pulling in, pulling in, pulling in, pulling in. Okay. And that's kind of the way that women are advised to do them now. Just contract your pelvic floor all kinds, right? The thing is, we know more about the pelvic floor now. And so knowing if you can relax the pelvic floor is important because if you're not fully relaxing your pelvic floor, well, then you're not going to be contracting through the range. You're not going to be developing the power that you need in your pelvic floor. Every muscle in your body has an optimal length for contraction. And so we need to make sure that you're doing that. And then we have to progress your, your Kegel or your pelvic floor contraction um, from you know, neutral positions into gravity dependent positions so that there's some sort of force against your pelvic floor so it can continue to strengthen in the same ways you can't just raise your elbow and strengthen your bicep, you need to apply a weight. So gravity is something that we can do to, to improve that. And so Kegels, I'm not opposed to Kegels. We, we have to use Kegels. We have to make sure that patients can contract fully and relax fully, right? But you need an assessment. 
if somebody comes in and they have hypertonicity in the muscles, so like a resting tension in the muscles or they're having pain, and we ask somebody to do a number of Kegels of contractions, that can actually increase their symptoms or create pain. And so we want to avoid that. So we need to know where they're starting from. So the Kegel in essence is not bad, but it needs to be part of a larger program. And what we know is that people that are simply told to do Kegels, and there's research that supports this, they do them correctly less than 50% of the time. Mm -hmm. And of that group, there's probably about 20% of them that are actually bearing down and pushing as opposed to contracting. So it's not enough to simply say, contract your pelvic floor, because we don't see it. We, you know, we're not conscious of our pelvic floor most of the time. So then to try to activate it, isolate it, connect with it without a little bit of help can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And are Kegels only for women? No. So, yeah. <laughs> no, no. So we treat a lot of people post-prostatectomy and we see a lot of urine leakage um, post-prostatectomy. So when the prostate gland is removed, um, that can affect the continent system, so the urinary system. And so we need to retrain uh, the reflexes of the pelvic floor to be contracting at the right time. And sometimes there's a bit of weakness there, but it's a coordination thing. And uh, so yes, men can definitely benefit, but again, it depends on what they need. And the other thing is coordinating the system can be as powerful or more powerful than just isolating a contraction in the same way that you do functional training that uses multiple muscle groups to you know, attain your task. In pelvic floor, it's the same thing. So we often forget that the pelvic floor group, so depending on the literature, it's between 13 or 14 muscles, but it's at the base of your pelvic, but this is your core. So when we talk about the core, we should always be saying the core four. So it's your respiratory diaphragm. So think of trampoline under your lungs, your pelvic floor, trampoline under your pelvis, your deepest abdominal, so your transverse abdominus, which is your corset. And then you actually have a back muscle called your multifidus. And so their job as a system is to stabilize the spine, but it's also to manage pressure, right. that intra-abdominal pressure we were talking about earlier. So it's not enough just to do hundreds of Kegels. We have to see how the system is coordinating and then how is the system coordinating during activity. Mm -hmm. why, don't we, why don't we as a society know about this? Why don't we know about this? I was talking earlier that, you know, in Europe, this is a common treatment. You were telling me earlier that it's a prescription given to a woman who just gave birth to be able to see a pelvic floor specialist for a certain number of sessions. So why do you feel that we are lacking this information here in, in our society? Yeah, so that's completely correct. So um, in France, women that deliver, people that deliver are automatically given a prescription for pelvic floor training, um, eight sessions specifically, and it's paid by the government. So it's part of their healthcare system. So that we don't have that here. Um, and, you know, why is that not, why are people unaware? I think historically, um, well, first of all, this area is a very intimate area. Um, people don't talk about the symptoms that they have in this area. And so then it's hard to access treatment because the symptoms are unknown and that's of no fault of their own. It's just the way that we've sort of dealt with pelvic floor issues or, or genital issues 
um, until now, right? And it's still an issue. So um, there's a lot of shame. So just to illustrate that, the main nerve of the pelvic floor is called your pudendal nerve. In French, it's le nerf honteux. So the shameful nerve, can you imagine? So that just, it illustrates sort of our relationship with this area. And I think the symptoms that people experience in this area, particularly women, has been normalized in a way that women accept that this is just the way it is because, and we were talking about this earlier, because I've had a baby and my mother leaked after she had me and my grandmother leaked and it's just, it's normal. Or, you know, I'm having pain with sex or urine leakage and menopause. And that makes sense, you know, that's, that's my mother had to give up sex at a certain uh, period in life. And this is just my plight at this point. And this is just what women endure or what people endure. And that is such a misconception. So these um, issues are super common. Uh, so just to throw out some stats for you, postnatal um, urinary incontin incontinence is anywhere between 35 and 40%. Huge numbers. Yeah. Pain with sex, women that have persistent pain with sex, one in five. Yeah. Huge. And these are these numbers are taken from people that have admitted it, have, have been, you know, participating in the research, right? Um, Post-menopause urinary incontinence, it's anywhere between 70-75% of women. Major, massive numbers. And so I always say this, I'm like, it's too common to be taboo. We need to normalize this area. It's innervated, it has the same muscles, it has the same connective tissue, and it serves a function that's important for our daily living, but also just quality of life. And so it deserves the same attention as any other orthopedic area, musculoskeletal area in the body. 100%. I think this is a great segue now to talk about sex. So you, you were mentioning that um, your, your treatment of patients with, who are experiencing painful sex is one of, one of your uh, favorite areas to treat or favorite patients to work with. How come? Because you really are a part of changing somebody's quality of life. Like the, the, the relationships that are changed, the experience taking somebody from having pain and fear of something that's meant to be so pleasurable and so connecting and watching that change from fear to curiosity to control to exploration to pleasure and a reconnection oftentimes with their partners that's an amazing process to be a part of and it's really gratifying work and i've seen absolutely incredible um evolution in, in, in patients that are seeking help for, for pain with sex. And it, it's just, it's such a, it's such a need uh, for us, right? Like sex and connection is, is a need. And so to have that cut from something that's, that's so uncomfortable, like pain with sex and, and to, to see sort of how that affects intimacy in the couple and, and self-esteem and all of these other areas beyond the physical, and then to take somebody from that position when they're coming in and move them through, it's, uh, it's powerful work. So, and, and patients do amazingly well 
um, once they're in treatment. So it's, it's a lot of fun to work with these patients. So we, yeah. I'm, I'm watching you light up as you talk about <laughs> this because it's so clear that you're creating transformation in people's lives and giving them back their life and giving them their quality of life. And especially again, when you're working on such a taboo topic, it's, I mean, think about how comfortable or uncomfortable you'd have to be to just ask for help, especially around this area. So yeah. tell me, tell me a little bit about these patients. Are, are they, is this a postpartum thing or are they, are they just always experiencing that? Uh, it could be either. So the research shows that about 63%, about 63%, so about 63% of patients um, or, or women in postpartum will experience pain with their first attempt at intercourse. Here's the thing about that. That doesn't have to be the case, okay? It doesn't have to be the case. And so we see pain with sex postnatally uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, if you're breastfeeding, estrogen's low, which means that the vagina is drier and more irritable and less elastic. And so that's a, a contributing factor. You have um, also the possibility of perineal tears, right? Or vaginal lacerations, which are just part of vaginal delivery sometimes. And so when that happens, you develop scar tissue, which is not as elastic as the original tissue. Um, and so then that too can create um, some discomfort. And then of course you've had this experience, this vaginal delivery. And so, you know, the idea sometimes of having something inserted in that area can be scary. Right. And so on top of the physical changes that we might experience, there can also be protective reactions that occur during penetration or during intercourse where the muscles of the pelvic floor clamp down, which creates more friction, and discomfort and, and then makes it the act, you know, undesirable. So that can really impact then desire and going forward to try it again, to try the activity again. And so that, that's sort of one subset. And then you do have patients that come in that have always experienced pain with sex. And so in these cases, I mean, there are multiple reasons why, but we do see a lot of muscle guarding and protective response and sometimes full withdrawal from the from vulvar touch or vaginal touch. Um, and so we have to kind of really ease in with those patients. Sometimes the first session we don't touch anybody, you know, and it's just creating that patient therapist bond and, and bringing down sort of the fear and the anticipation of, of pain with, um, with touch or, or insertion into the area. Um, and then you have other patients that have developed uh, pain, you know, maybe they've had some sort of physical or sexual trauma, or um, it could be related sometimes to medications. And, and unfortunately, regardless of how it sort of started, by the time we see them in clinic, a lot of the time, it has been compounded and has been there and sort of established itself in a way that it can be trickier to kind of unravel because it's been there for so long. So again, if we can see patients earlier when these symptoms are sort of just starting to uh, develop, I think treatment would be a lot faster. So those are sort of the, the patients that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. mentioned earlier something around men as well, experiencing some of this discomfort and some of this 
painful sex. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, so men can have pain with erection. They can have pain on ejaculation. Um, they can have perineal pain just at rest. Um, so can women as well. Um, and so often it's termed prostatitis um, when they're experiencing sort of these symptoms. And, and it can be coupled with other symptoms as well. Sometimes urine, urinary urgency or um, after you finish peeing, you might notice dribbling. Like those are sort of common symptoms that go with it. And often, often, and more often than not, we see pelvic floor hypertonicity or pelvic floor resting tension that's elevated and a difficulty in relaxing those muscles. So they sort of learned a new position. And because again, we're not really aware of our pelvic floors most of the time, we may not be aware that we're having this protective response that's just sort of riding with us all the time. So it's kind of like walking around with your shoulders elevated, eventually your neck is gonna hurt. And it, it's the same kind of snowball effect. And interestingly, the pelvic floor it's innervated the same way your heart is innervated or your lungs are innervated. So we call that an autonomic innervation or an automatic innervation. And so in the same way that when you're under stress or, or um, maybe you're sad or there's some sort of emotional shift, your heart beats faster, or you breathe a little faster, your pelvic floor grips. <laughs> so this we know. And so you can imagine in our society, right? This is so fast paced and stressful. And we're all sitting at our desk all the time. Yeah. You're sitting on these gripped pelvic floors. You don't even realize it until the symptoms start to develop. And that can definitely affect um, your sexual experience and just, you know, quality of life, pain, just having general pain at rest. Right. Yeah, definitely. And so your protocol to, to help treat these patients, is it similar to how you treat the pelvic floor in a person who experiences leakage? No, it's not. Um, so again, the leakage, if there's tension in the pelvic floor, we have to treat that first before we start doing any strengthening coordination. So that's important to know. Um, for pain, depending on how it developed, depending on you know, their experience with pain or if they have an experience with trauma, we approach it a, a little slower, I would say. And so it might start, like I have some patients, our first session, it'll start with just getting comfortable having a hand on the knee or a hand on the vulva, doing some deep breathing and some relaxation exercises, pelvic floor awareness. So learning how with breath, to sort of start to be aware of opening and closing of the pelvic floor, creating that connection. That might be step one. Mm -hmm. And then what we would sort of introduce is, um, you know, being able to accommodate, to relax the pelvic floor, open or flower, you could say, the vagina in order to um, accommodate the insertion of one finger. And then once somebody learns how to relax, um, and allow an insertion of something, there might still be pain because pain is a protective response. And so if sex has been sort of labeled dangerous in your nervous system, not only are you gonna have contraction, but pain as a protective response, as a deterrent for doing or having vulvar touch or experiencing insertion establishes itself. And so we have to kind of teach the nervous system, teach the brain, not to interpret touch in this area as 
just painful because there are other subtleties to sensation. And so that would be part of our work. Okay, you're feeling this, but can you feel pressure? Can you feel stretch? Can you feel glide? And so there's a retraining that has to happen. And so once somebody is able to accommodate an insertion, well, then we might try two fingers or, and I have my trusty dilator with me. You can't see it on podcast, but basically a dilator is just, well, it's, it's a, a phallus essentially. So we have a dildo here, a plastic dildo. This is the one that I like to use in the clinic and it's graduated. So it's a small, we start with a very small size. This is what really gets treatment going because we can teach patients how to use this at home to practice accommodating. And then once insertion is possible, use this to actually stretch the pelvic floor muscles. And then it's, you know, we have sizes to get to. So a little bit of a reward system. You get one size, okay, we progress the, progress the size. And then the idea is that we progress the size to something that represents their partner or their need or just their want, right? And, and so that's sort of how uh, dilator therapy works. That's amazing. Can we yeah. also talk about orgasm? Okay, what would you like to do? <laughs> so do you, do you see patients who need help or assistance with achieving orgasm or discomfort around them? Absolutely. Okay. So, um, you know, if you're experiencing pain, it's not very sexy, right? Nope. You're not feeling good in your body. You're not feeling sexy. Um, you have, you might have a fear of initiating contact. You might have a fear, you know, so there are different layers outside of just the physical. And so I just want to say that we often, so my colleagues here at the clinic are actually as psychologists and we use and we refer and cross refer with psychology and sexology and psychotherapy all the time. And it's not because, you know, just need to talk about their childhood or whatnot. It's to learn how to change their response to discomfort, how to change their, their um, experience of sex, how to let go and enjoy, right? Because a lot of patients also, they've been experiencing pain and they are continuing to have sex for the partners, mm-hmm. right? Because they're part of this couple and they feel that that's also part of their responsibility to maintain the couple. And so there are lots of sort of feelings and thoughts around sex that need to sometimes be broken down or modif- modified to make um, to allow for relaxation and enjoyment, right? Um, if your pelvic floor is tight, the nerves around the clitoris, so again, we were talking about the pudendal nerve earlier. So the pudendal nerve has three branches, it has a rectal branch, perineal branch, and a clitoral branch. And so if your muscles are very tight or they're very reactive, those nerves can be irritated. And absolutely, if with clitoral stimulation or on orgasm, you can have pain. Mm-hmm. And so that, again, is learning how to let go in general you know, working on flexibility and such, but it's also about mindfulness in the moment, which can be a big challenge. So if you're able to finally be able to have the touch and have the penetration and, and sort of relax into that, okay, then now at orgasm, can you let go? Because we know already there's a reflex contraction of the pelvic floor. So to sort of fine tune that awareness um, to be able to let go in the moment and allow the orgasm to sort of take effect without having it over gripping is powerful. And it's not something that has to be um, voluntarily thought of for life. It's just a retraining until the body gets used to it. So that's one thing. Um, And also the the desensitization of the area becomes really important. So, okay, we know what hurts. 
can we get to what doesn't hurt sort of neutral and then get into the exploration of what feels good. Some people, again, have lost the subtlety of sensation. They're so used to just feeling pain. And so you have to take that away first and then allow people the space to explore. And we'll even have partners come in and do partner sessions and explain and, and demonstrate different types of touch. And, um, you know, they go home with diagrams or like website referrals or whatever, then they can go home and practice this. But there's sort of a mental and, and, and physical relaxation that has to take place. And that's sometimes that has to be developed in the couple too, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's an exciting field. There's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And I, you know, again, just, just bringing up these topics again, it's, it's like we said in the beginning, it's creating awareness. It's understanding that there is help. And I love what you say, the pelvic hope around, you know, overcoming all of these conditions and really making a massive change in our lives. We always talk about health and fitness in terms of the physical sense and really exerting yourself. But if I can't run because I'm suffering from leakage or I'm embarrassed or I have to make sure that I have a, a liner all the time, this is going to affect my quality of life. This is going to affect what I'm able to do as an athlete. So, you know, again, the, this being one of one of the things I hear most often in the gym from, from women, um, and I see it right before I'm starting a workout, everyone running to the washroom or making sure that they have a liner, there, there's a way to overcome it and it will have a massive impact in your life. So yeah. one of the one of the couple of things I, I wanted to bring up, I know you want to talk about pessary fittings. And also I do want to get into the, the treatment and management of uh, the trans population. Sure. So first I, I just want to say because you are you in your practice or your your gym, you're dealing with a, a very athletic population. And I think the misconception, and I think some of the barriers for accessing physio too could be that people assume that we're just going to take away your activities <laughs> to stop everything. And that's not the case. And sort of in the evolution of physio, it's about becoming aware of your body and figuring out how much can you do before your symptoms start. And then once you hit that limit, is there a way that we can modify something about how you're doing that thing, that activity or that exercise that allows you to go a little bit further? Mm -hmm. So you don't have to stop everything in its tracks to allow the pelvic floor to catch up. So that I think is really important to say. And so um, pessary, pessary is one way of allowing uh, women to get back to activity um, as a complementary device or complementary therapy to the physio and the training. So a pessary is a silicone form and it depends, there are multiple shapes the typical shape you'll see is either a ring or a ring with um, sort of a trampoline mesh in, in the center. And what we do with that is we can fold it, lube it up and insert it into the vagina so that it opens and supports the pelvic organ. So this is a treatment for either pelvic organ prolapse or urinary incontinence, or you can have some that are, are, are made for both. So they're taking care of both at the same time. And so this is a great option for some women that are athletic and they feel like they've had to give up A, B, or C, 
and they just need a little extra support. Um, so I liken it to a sports bra. So for some of my patients, they literally just pop it in. And, and once you learn how to do it, it's no more difficult than putting in a tampon, really. And once it's in, if it's well positioned, you don't feel it. So you put it in, you go for your run, you come back, you take it out, give it a rinse, set it away, and then it's ready for your next, your next go. Or some women will wear it. Um, you know, maybe they have a busy life, a bunch of kids, you know, during, during the day, they're very active. They're feeling heavy by the end of the day because they've had a lot of lifting to do or whatever. So they might wear it all day long and take it out at night. And then in other cases, it's more severe and they, or they just despise the sensation. So women describe it as feeling a ball or a heaviness or a lowering in the vaginal area, in the perineal area, and they'll wear it for two or three weeks consecutively, mm. you know, because that's, they can just leave it in and they don't want to have to think about it. And that's okay too, depending on the shape and the form. And so that's something that is available. Not all physiotherapists are trained to uh, offer the service. Um, here we happen to be. And um, yeah, it's, it's a great tool that, that, uh, that people could, could use. Amazing. And yeah. so, and so now, now the trans population that you, what I like is that you mentioned them and you wanted to get mentioned because again, it, it's uh, an area where, where obviously vulnerability is required and understanding that there is a profession that can help you pre-surgery, post-surgery is extremely important uh, to create awareness around. Yeah. Um, Ask is, and the, the way that I've always sort of seen the space that I wanted to work in and, and have a team in is a safe space. We treat anybody and we are happy to have you come in. And so um, the trans population is a population that I, you know, I just have a heart for. Um, historically, they have not had services targeted to them. Uh, there is a lot of fear um, admittedly from people in the community about accessing care and how they are going to be perceived and how they are going to be treated. And so a lot of people avoid care, you know, for something that's so intimate and so impactful for life, they need a space where they can come and just be taken for who they are, right? And, and listen, it doesn't matter what gender you associate with. Pelvic floor muscles are pelvic floor muscles, <laughs> okay? They work the same. And so we can work on contraction, we can work on release, um, we can work on sexual health and stimulation. And if it's prehab, which we do for any surgery, it's making sure that we're aware of the pelvic floor muscles that we can contract them. If there's going to be a graft site, if it's a reconstruction surgery, you might have a graft site on the arm, you might have a graft site on the lats, you might have a graft site on the thighs. It's about working the connective tissue in those areas prior and then post-surgically coming back into the clinic, we're looking at dilator therapy. So how, how to stretch and keep compliance in, in the tissues. Um, we're looking at bowel health. We're looking at urinary health. So I've had patients who have come in with, you know, the same symptoms as anybody else, urinary urgency, sometimes the neoclitoris, if it's a trans female, trans woman, coming in pro-surgically, might have hypersensitivity, so we'll work on desensitization. If you know they've had a graft site, 
well, then we're going to work on the scar tissue in that area. So locally vulvar or in the penile area or outside. Um, it's about mobility and it's about also just general mobility, using, learning to use your body in a way that represents who you are. And so if you're making a major transition like that, there's, there's changes in how you move, right? And so we want to help you with that aspect as well. So it's not all just pelvis central centric. It's, it's the whole global person. And so in 2018, I went to Boston Medical and did the first training ever offered for PTs working with the trans population. And it was amazing. So we were in the hospital and we had these just fabulous physios that were working in these medical facilities that were seeing, you know, lots of these patients in pre and post-surgically and just sharing their insight and the research. And uh, it, it's good work and patients benefit greatly from it because they do experience urinary bowel and sexual dysfunction. And so they need a place to be treated properly. Amazing. And it's so clear that as a service provider, something that we both share is we treat the person, not the condition, not the disease, not the complaint. It is the person globally. I thank you so much for being here today, Amadea. Is there anything else that you want to share with us that we didn't get a chance to go over? Honestly, I think we covered the big points. I guess I could never repeat it enough. There is help if you are experiencing bowel urinary sexual dysfunction you have to advocate for yourself you have to ask about it you have to ask for referral talk about your symptoms they are too common to be taboo i promise you once you start discussing it somebody in your friend group is going to to feel comfortable and you're you will create a space for discussion. And, and once we sort of ignite that train of discussion, that is how we're going to get people into treatment faster and back to the lives that they want to live. So that's just my encouraging word. Yeah. Thank you so much value and so much insight for us today. We're so lucky to have you on. So how do people find you, Amadea? If somebody wanted to reach out and ask you a question or book an appointment with you, where would they go? That's a good question. So you can contact the clinic. So we are Ask Physiotherapy. Our website is www.askphysiomontreal.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook um, under Ask Physiotherapy or on Instagram at um, ask underscore physio. So we are definitely reachable and we want to hear from you for sure. So reach out, ask your questions. We can troubleshoot um, by email or via Zoom, we will. Otherwise, come on in and we will we'll give you a full assessment. Amazing. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode, and remember, you are an inspiration.